Social Contract, a Commander podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what's up, man? Not too much, Mike. Happy to be here. And uh, today we're going to talk about a very common way to win the game, but it's a fun way. Yeah, I'd say it's arguably the most common. and It probably is the most common way. And, and a way that people... I, I, you said the most fun way, or at least one of the most fun it's, ways. It's one of the most fun ways. And I think one of the reasons why people don't talk about it that often is that there's some disagreement to that, and I don't mm. I don't get it. Um, but we're going to talk about combat. Talk, combat. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Um, so, as we've referenced before. We don't before, have the rights to that. I, I, it, you do for just a little bit of time. We're in so much trouble. Oh right my now. gosh. Okay. Start it. Run it back. Hello, Mortal everyone. Mortal <laughs> Uh, so, as you referenced a couple of times, uh, the command zone in their data collection project, uh, looking mm-hmm. through a bunch of different stats, ab- stats, stats, exactly, uh, looking through a bunch of different EDH games, um, they studied a thousand different things. Like you know, I think mm-hmm. one of the big ones is Soul Ring over overrated because if you play it turn one, you're right, yep. yeah, stuff like that. But the yep. big one that we've been fixating on is the fact that about half of all commander games are decided by combat as the win condition. Which is huge. That's a ridiculous... It's huge. Think think about how many different ways there are yeah. to end the game. You've got combat, you've got mill, commander damage, uh, you lose the game effects, you win the game effects, like all win cons, that kind of stuff. Different types um, of there, burn right, spells. There's just so yeah. many different ways... Yeah, you could you could kill someone with damage, infinite damage combo, or life loss combo. Neither of those are combat, but they right. still hit your life total. Um, so when you think about it, combat is just one of many, but it really has the lion's share of this pie of yeah. winning the game. It's it's not just a it's not just a plurality, like the biggest yeah. actual. It's by it's the majority, and mm-hmm. that's that makes sense when you think about it, right? Like the easiest thing to do in magic is to cast a spell that sticks out there and tries to hurt somebody every turn. <laughs> yeah, if you have a creature creatures, it doesn't matter if they're designed for combat or if they're utility creatures. Mm-hmm. In a pinch, most of them can deal combat damage. Yeah. I mean most of them. I mean, you know, you you play a 1/1 one, one out there in turn 1 and it's supposed to do this other effect for your deck, but turn 2 comes around and well, you've got some attacks. Sure. And this is important. There's more than one way to win through combat. There is. There's, of course, uh, taking someone's life total to zero or below mm-hmm. uh, with your normal combat damage. That's your vanilla. But we also have Infect. Yep. Um, if you receive 10 poison counters, you will lose the game. But we also have Commander Damage, which is a rule that's unique to Commander. Yep. That says uh, if you receive... Uh, 21 or more points of combat damage from a single commander. Uh, that's if you have two commanders or more, uh, only one of them is is kind of towards each individual total mm-hmm. and peoples don't combine. Uh, you'll lose the game as a state-based action. Um, so even though you have 40 life, you can lose with 19 life yep. or 
Uh, here's a hot tip for you, Judge's Corner, a little early. Uh, <laughs> even if your life total can't change, yep, you can still lose the game due to having 21 or more committed damage dealt to you. Now, life total can't change is different from prevents all damage. Mm-hmm. If all damage is being prevented, which we will talk about this episode, um, commander damage can't get through. Right. But if it's only that your life total can't change, and that's uh, Platinum Imperion and Teferi's Protection, mm. the two goodest boys, <laughs> you can take damage, but that damage won't change your life total. Right. And since commander damage only cares if it's been dealt, not what your life total is. Right. Even if you have your life total can't be changed, you're dealt 21, you're still going to lose the game, Mike. Yep. Are you are you ready to be extremely proud of me? Let's hear it. I knew that. Nice. I, I knew that because, uh, well, and we'll talk about it a little bit in our combat. Because <laughs> I lost that way. Well, in our combat-based commanders, uh, little, you know, we're a little bit uh, peek behind the curtain on what we're going to talk about today in combat. Yeah. Um, I was fighting somebody who had a, <laughs> your life total <laughs> cannot change. And I'm like, but... So that's fine. I'm still doing damage, right? I'm still going to kill you. So if I hit you with this thing again, do you mm-hmm. die? And mm-hmm. they went, I don't know. <laughs> and we had to ask. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a cool interaction. And I think it gets around. It Combat's one of those things. It's, it's the easiest way to build a deck to win the game as far Absolutely. as just across all boards. Because the value of your deck, the meat and potatoes, what's allowing you to put permanents on the board to cast spells... Mm-hmm your protection, and your offense, um, and your means to win the game are all the same thing, creatures. So creature decks are really friendly to new players. They're usually pretty easy to pilot. Um, They're just a good, simple, fun way to win. And today, Mike, we're going to talk about some of the ways that uh, you can win with combat or prevent someone from winning with combat. Right. And we're not just going to say, hey, you know what's really good for winning with combat? Creatures. So let's talk about a thousand creatures. What we're talking about things is that manipulate the actual combat step and a couple mm-hmm. aspects of that. And the first one we're going to go into is the overrun effects. Now, overrun is a it's a very, very well-known magic card. Oh, Green yeah. sorcery creatures you control get plus three, plus three, and trample to under turn. We're not talking a classic. about... classic. Yeah, exactly. That's why they're called overrun effects. What they are is they are literally, (laughs) we are going to try and pump the squad, turn sideways, math is for blockers, here comes everything I can The damage is going to go through, and hopefully there's so much damage that not only do we bust through all of the blockers, but we also kill whoever's behind them. Right. Uh, That's the alpha strike, as we like to call it, where everything is going sideways, and you're trying to win the game. So I'll tell you what, Alex, I started with Overrun. Why don't you give me another uh, an- another Overrun-like effect that you like when you're talking oh, about Oh, you got combat. it, Mike. So this is another very well-known one, so I won't spend too much on it. And I'm going to bump over to another one after this. Mm-hmm. But everyone knows this one. It's Triumph of the Hordes. Yeah. Triumph of the Hordes is the Infect card for people who don't care about Infect. Mm-hmm. Because here, Infect doesn't read, oh, well, I have to like proliferate and like pump these creatures in this way right. to get enough. No, 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 no. This is just, oh, that's just super trample. Yeah. Uh, not really, though. Don't take that to the bank. So Triumph of the Hordes, <laughs> two green, green for a sorcery. Uh, it says, until end of turn, 
creatures you control get plus one, plus one, gain trample, and infect. Mm-hmm. Um, and to go over some of these terms, I want to try to make the show a little bit more accessible to newer players. Sure. Uh, trample means that excess combat damage can go through to the defending uh, player or planeswalker. And infect is a very simple mechanic that basically means that when a creature deals damage to other creatures, it deals it in the form of minus one, minus one counters instead of marking damage on the creature. Mm-hmm. And those counters will stay on there uh, indefinitely. Yep. And then when it deals damage to a player, the player will instead receive poison counters instead of taking damage. And if any player has 10 or more poison counters, they'll lose the game. Mm-hmm. So this is almost like if you say someone's life total is 40 and infect kills at 10, it's almost like you're quadrupling the damage of your creatures for this overrun effect, and it only costs four mana, Mike. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's one of those things that, like, I, I like how you phrased it. It's infect for players that don't l- care about infect. Exactly. I, 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 have, I don't really think of this as an infect card. I don't either. It's a, it's a win-con. Right. It, but it's, it's if I won through this the same way that I won through overrun, which is kind of how I use it, Mm-hmm. Then, you know, anybody who's worried about the, oh, you've got an infect card. Well, kind of like I have this in my tokens deck because what my tokens deck does is I want to I want to swing out with a lot of tokens. And right. all that really means is if these tokens are bigger than one ones and they have trample, I'm going to get mm-hmm. some damage through more times than not. So I really it's like just what you're saying. It's extremely high value for the mana cost mm-hmm. because infect less so in more competitive formats with a 20 starting life total where infect is half of your player's life total. Sure. At 40, it's, it's a quarter of your life total. So you go from having to deal uh, in a pot of four, having to deal 120 damage. Now you only have to deal 30 right. damage, which is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I've won pretty early in the game with triumph of the hordes because you only have to have 30 uh, damage on board after blockers, which is not that difficult. Right. Um, but that's kind of old hat, Mike. Everyone knows about Triumph of the Hordes. How about one that's a little bit more spicy? Yeah. How about one of my favorites, Titanic Ultimatum? Okay. Titanic Ultimatum is a sorcery for red, red, green, 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 white, white. That's uh, seven mana. Yep. Until end of turn, creatures you control get plus five, plus five. And... Gain first strike, lifelink, and trample, Mike. It's a lot of things. That's a lot of things. Oh, yes. You may not need all of this power, Mm -hmm. but, Mike, if this resolves and nobody fogs, oh, you're getting the kill. Yeah. And not only are you getting the kill, but you're going to gain a ton of life. Yeah, I I, I almost feel like the lifelink is kind of, you know, it's super secondary at that point. Mm. Because, I mean... If, on the off chance you don't win on the spot, I guess. But man, if yeah. you're giving if you're giving creatures you for seven mana, if you're giving creatures mm-hmm. you control plus five plus five and trample, oh, yeah. I'm hoping that you're winning the game. But lifelink is always nice; doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, I like Titanic Ultimatum. What's one of your favorites uh, overrun effects, Mike? So the ones that I like are kind of uh, there's a couple of cards that do this. But the one that I want to reference that we have here is Proud Wild Bonder. Mm. Uh, it's a two gruel gruel uh, human warrior four three with trample that says creatures you control with trample have you may have this creature assign its combat damage as though it weren't blocked. Oh, there's your super trample right yeah, there. Yeah, that's that's I'm attacking with this thing. Go ahead and block it how you so choose, but 
I'm going to tell you where the damage is going to go regardless. Right. So we'll get into the the nitty gritty of this kind of effect mm-hmm. later on in the episode. We're going to have a judge's corner about the uh, really breaking down how combat works. But sure. effectively, what Mike is saying is exactly right. Even if blockers are declared for those creatures, when the attacking player assigns damage, they can just ignore all the creatures blocking your attacking creature and go straight for the defending player of Planeswalker, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. <laughs> to say um, the least. <laughs> it's it's even better than unblockable because unblockable creatures can still become blocked. Right. Which is a little silly. There's some effects that just cause a creature to become blocked. Mm-hmm. They're not very common, but strictly speaking, uh, you may assign this creature's combat damage as though it weren't blocked is it's getting through. Right. It's pretty good. Yeah. I like that effect. I I like that one a lot. And the other effect I want to talk about is overrun is cool. It's a, here's it costs this much to pump your team. But what if I want to pump it more? What if I want to decide how big my team is? So I love the X effects. The one that I, I want to know where you're going with. Yeah, this. the one I want to go to is Mirror Entity. Uh, yeah. Two generic and a white for a one-one creature shapeshifter with Changeling. Oh yeah, this card is every creature type. Uh, it also has the ability of X until end of turn. Creatures you control have base power and toughness XX and gain all creature types. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about combat and creatures uh, based builds that synergize? How about Tribal? And here is the all Tribal, all everything comes. It just goes huge combat creature. It's really good. I yeah. like this effect, Mike. And I like that you can dump an arbitrary amount of mana to just bull people over. Here's the problem. And you already know what I'm about to say. This card doesn't give any uh, any evasion keywords. There's no Correct. trample. There's no assign as though it weren't blocked. There's no flying. Mm-hmm. There's no death touch. There's none of that. So, yes, this card is great. But if you don't want to get your squad chump blocked then you're going to need another effect that gives them some sort of evasion to allow them to actually punch through. For sure. It's it's less overrun and just make them as big as possible. Um, right. The one thing that I do like about this card on that note is everything we've everything else we've talked about has been either a sorcery speed card or it has other conditions of, well, these creatures have to have trample. With Mirror mm-hmm. Entity, it's an ability. It's instant speed. So you kind of put the onus on all of your opponents to figure out how they're going to block. They have to look at how much mana that you have available, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's a, another one of those fun interactions of gaming inside the game that I like to play a lot. Yeah, that's that's an absolutely, it's a great card. I think that with Morophon being printed and mm. Changeling being represented strongly in Modern Horizons and in... Uh, Commander Legends, was that the one that had a bunch of Changeling? Yep. Yeah. So we've been seeing a lot of support for Changeling, so yep. I think that that's, uh, that card probably going to see a, a new renaissance. But Trample is not the only way that you can punch damage through and, and unblockable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Flying. Yes. Because you'd be surprised just how few people run a significant number of Flying creatures. Maybe their Commander is Flying. Right. Maybe they have a few flyers if they're like dragons. Most people are not running dragons. Yeah. Most people are not running bird tribal. So let's talk about a very high utility card mm-hmm. that some would say 
is one of the best planeswalkers in the entire game. And that's Elspeth's son's champion. It's not close to me. I, I still don't understand the argument. I love this card so much. Four white white planeswalker, legendary planeswalker, Elspeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, her loyalty is four and has plus one. Create three one one white soldier creature token. That's Holy a lot of cow. That's my favorite planeswalker loyalty ability ever yep. of all time. It's great. Uh, her minus three is a board wipe. Destroy all creatures with power four or greater. Awesome. And she sticks around. I love that effect. Yeah. So she stays on the board. You're running a token deck. <laughs> You're probably not going to get too hit by it. But here's her ultimate, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily easy to get to. But let's just say that if people are trying to remove her with combat damage, that's going to be pretty difficult yeah, because she can throw up three blockers a turn. Um, so her minus seven is you get an emblem with creatures you control, get plus two, plus two, and have flying. Mike, this is definitely an overrun effect because when you have creatures even if they're one ones now they're three threes so maybe you had 10 on board now you have 30 on board and Mm -hmm. it's in the air and not to mention if she's still alive after that minus seven then every additional plus one that you use on her is no longer three power but nine power with flying sure and here's here's the major difference yeah when we talk about planeswalkers and you don't you don't base it off of the ult because Right. How likely is that to happen? Here's it's a good ult, but it's it's not why I'm running her, right? Right. But here's the difference. On the card are two completely different ways to keep Elspeth on the field. <laughs> She's very sturdy. I how many times has So you 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 love Elspeth, so do I. Love it. I don't know how many times my Elspeth has been removed due to combat damage. It's really difficult. Targeted removal, for sure. But. She's she's six mana. Yeah. So by the time that she's on the board, you're almost certainly going to have a few creatures out already. Mm-hmm. You can also use this as a political angle, Mike, because there are a lot of people who don't mind if you make tokens with her or even if you ult with her. But I'll tell you what they really don't want you to do. They don't want you to minus three or nope. blow the board up. So maybe you can strike some kind of deal with your pot and say, hey, I'm not going to blow the board up. Mm-hmm. As long as everyone just leaves her alone. Right. Maybe they'll say, sure thing. Maybe they'll say, screw that, and then you can blow the board up. Um, but either way, you're coming out on top. <laughs> so there's one more uh, I wanted to talk about, and then we yeah. can move on. But uh, this is another one that grants flying, and uh, another token staple. One of my favorite cards, Eldrazi Monuments. Yeah. Oh, my God, do I love this card. Oh, like five mana boy. for an artifact. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one and have flying, and indestructible. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff. At the beginning of your upkeep, sack a creature if you can't sack Eldrazi Monument. Mm-hmm. So this is really only for uh, token decks or aristocrats decks. Right. And for those decks, this is nothing. You can, you are almost always on pace to make more than one creature per turn. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you can't, you have to get rid of it, but you know what? That's okay. The point is that this isn't that big of a buff, Mike. It's only plus one, plus one. But, but that doesn't really matter <laughs> when they're in the air uh-huh. and have indestructible. Uh-huh. That's when things are flying and indestructible, people get really nervous. Figure out how to stop them twice. Yeah. And, and the other part, is, you, you said like this is card that's usually only in uh, token decks or aristocrats yeah. decks. In token yeah. decks, it's you lose a token each turn. In aristocrats oh, decks, no. this is upside, downside, it's another upside. This card yeah. is so nuts. And oh, it's so good. I oh boy, the fact that you can 
you can literally play this as an overrun before your combat. You can basically, okay, cool. Uh, I have a lot of stuff. Here's my 25 tokens that I made last turn. And for five generic mana, now good luck making them go away. I swing out. It's, Eldrazi Monument is very good. This is a good call by you, buddy. Those are a couple, obviously. There's a ton. But those There's are, a lot. Those are some of the overrun, how do you get damage through with the team, make the squad go mean kind of effects. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to die, Alex. So mm. what I don't are, like dying either. So what are some ways that I can, I can make some of that not come through? What are some ways Absolutely, that I can prevent Mike. that damage? The number one way to prevent combat damage is with fogs. Yeah. Mike. And fogs are great. But we don't see them very often. Let's talk about what we mean by a fog. A fog effect is going to either end combat, uh, stop a creature that's currently attacking from dealing damage or stop it from being in combat, Mm -hmm. or preventing damage from creatures that they would deal even if they are unblocked. Right. Um, And there's a lot of cards that fall into this, but very few of them see play. And that's kind of an interesting thing to note. And we have talked about this in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. So I don't really want to go too deep, but I would like to just have a minute of speculation with you here, Mike. Yeah, of course. Why do why do you think we'll, we'll assume that the command zone stats is roughly accurate, that the, roughly 50% of all games mm-hmm. uh, in, in Commander end by way of combat damage. Sure. And yet fogs are not common. There are a handful of fogs, and we'll talk about some of them that are very common because they're very powerful or recurrable. Right. But most fogs are really high value, but they don't see any play. Let's let's just look at at, at the vanilla fog, and and we'll talk about that. There's three versions of the vanilla fog, mm-hmm. um, and then you can talk to me about why you think a one mana you don't get to win the game today spell <laughs> is not good enough for most decks. Sure. So we have our first one. And that's Fog. Uh, yeah. That's what the effect is named for, for a green instant prevental combat damage that would be dealt this turn. And this card also exists in white and black. There's Holy Day, same effect for a single white mana, and Darkness, same effect for a single black mana. Now, Mike, that's three different colors of mana for one mana instance mm-hmm. that shut down 50% of all win cons. Yep. Why do you think... And I'm not going to put you on the spot because this is a hard question. Why do you think we don't see more fogs in the game of EDH? I think I have a good explanation, but okay. I also don't think it's the right one necessarily. That's fair. Um, so I liken a, if you were to liken a fog to a counterspell, because mm-hmm. a counterspell is a, I'm going to have this in my hand. So hopefully when I use it, I can ensure that I win the game. Or I can ensure that my opponent does it's like not like a counterspell for, for combat only. Right. So it's an extremely yeah. niche counterspell. And sure. sometimes that's something where it depends on the meta that you're dealing with. And, oh man, it I have this fog in my hand, but I'm going to die because I'm getting pinged by... Niv Mizzet, or yeah. I'm going to I'm going to mill out. I don't know what I'm going to do with this card because it's something where it's a little bit more niche. I think more times than not, people unless they're building their decks around combat and specifically encouraging combat from their opponents, it's one of those things that it's the best card you could possibly have in your hand 
mm-hmm. when you can play it at that moment. Uh, almost like what you were talking about before, when you're building decks, you don't want to build a card that is a lose less. And I think sometimes people right. put fogs into that category, even though by all intents and purposes, they shouldn't. Like it's it's a do not lose the game right. so you can win the game kind of effect. It's more of a silver bullet or, or yeah. maybe silver shield, if you will, than, than it is a lose less. I like effect. silver shield. Yeah, silver shield. How about that? Um it's it's the answer to exactly one thing. But it's a very common thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very common thing. Maybe we can discover more about that as we go on, but so uh, yeah. there it's not only combat damage that fog effects can protect against because I have a very wide definition of it. I talked Absolutely. about some of the different things I define it as. Let's talk about what is quite possibly my favorite land in the entire game. <laughs> the the utility lands utility land, right? <laughs> Glacial chasm. Yep. We've talked about this card before. I adore this card. Now, here's your reminder. You know what I'm going to say. This land doesn't produce mana. Nope. So when you are making your deck, if you think, hey, I want to have this card in there, it's a spell. Yep. Not a land. All right. So Glacial Chasm, it is a land. Uh, cumulative Upkeep, pay to life. Uh, let's go over what that means real quick. Cause yep. Cumulative Upkeep is a confusing thing. It says at the beginning of your upkeep, put an age counter on this permanent and then sacrifice it unless you pay its upkeep cost for each age counter. So basically what that means is that um, your first upkeep after this is on your battlefield, you're going to choose to pay two or sack it. The next time you'll choose to pay four life or sack it. And the next time you'll choose to pay six life or sack it. It has three other abilities on top of that. It has when Glacial Chasm enters the battlefield, sacrifice a land. Okay. So it can't be your only land because when that triggers, you'll sacrifice Glacial Chasm. That would be a very bad Um, turn one land. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. Creatures you control can't attack. Okay. Woof. Uh, and then finally, the money prevents all damage that would be dealt to you. Oh, well, so okay. That's the only reason why this is here. Of course, we've got four downsides: can't make mana. Mm-hmm. You got to pay life every turn. You got to sack a land when it comes into play. Right. And you can't attack, but you just have a permanent fog effect surrounding you on a land, mm-hmm. which is really easy to get onto the battlefield and very difficult to remove. Goodness gracious, Mike, this is one of my absolute favorite cards. How do you feel about Glacial Chasm? Well, we've gone over the math with it before. The amount of turns that it would have to take mm-hmm. for you to regret putting this land down, a, a lot higher than you would expect if it literally saves your life. If you assume you're in the end game, which is where you really want this, mm-hmm. it's starting to look like the game's about to close out. This time it's through combat. Most of the time it's going to be through combat, but this time it is. You've got... If you do the math, and I'm not going to go through it, with all of the life that you're paying, think about how much damage three other players or even one other player could deal to you in six turns, Mike, in six combat phases. They would wipe you off the face of the earth. And again, it's prevent all damage, right? Yes. So pingers, too. Well, pingers. And the other way that you get through with the infinite life people in combat, commander damage. Mm -hmm. You're preventing all of that damage. Right. That's the big one, preventing commander damage, too. So it's yep. it's one of those cards that's extremely synergistic against all of the ways that you can be dealt damage. Of which it's just a jack-of-all-trades. There's a ton, with yeah. a downside. Well, sorry, a couple of downsides. 
But right. most of those downsides are something that you can absolutely make the sacrifice for. Right. And we've been talking about how important combat is, and it is important mm -hmm. for many decks, not for all decks, but for many decks. And the way that most decks work, if they're intending to win through combat, is not through chipping away. Some decks do like to chip away and do little hits over time. Um, infect decks tend to tend to do that kind of thing sometimes. But most decks that are creature-based only attack once a game. Yeah, it's it's not a consistent effect for usually you're 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 alpha striking. It's okay, I'm right. ready to go. Here's the squad attack. Right. Is there an answer? And then if there's not, that's why fog the game's is. Over. That's why fog has such high potential. Yeah. So let's talk about another of the big dogs. Yeah. In Fogland, easily, easily the best spell fog in the game, and oh, that's sure. constant mists. Yeah. So constant mists, one generic and a green for an instant has to be uh, that creatures deal no combat damage this turn. The difference is you can buy it back by sacrificing a land. So. Mm -hmm. You may sacrifice a land in addition to any other cost when you play the spell. If you do, put constant myths into your hand instead of your graveyard as part of the spell's effect. So you get to bring this back, and you have a recurrable th fog. Now, you're sacrificing a land, but I'll right. sacrifice a land if it ensures that I don't die the next turn. And there are some decks that I play that constant mists is in there because I love sacrificing lands. That's That's... That's its right, own absolutely. little. That's its own little build, and constant miss is awesome. This is one of my it's favorite cards. The best. Now, if you play it once, mm -hmm. unless they are trying to win through attrition, and it's simply a battle of, all right, chief, <laughs> I'm trying to win, and you're trying to stop me. Yep. And they literally keep swinging in for 10 turns and you have to sacrifice 10 lands until you draw into your win con. Sure. That's not where you want to be, but you can pull that off. Yep. Here's here's where you want to be. You cast Constant Mists once mm -hmm. and then no one attacks you again until they have a counterspell. Yep. Because they know that you have it. You bought it back. They can see that you cast it and they know that you're willing to sacrifice lands to do it. They don't have to be untapped lands. Mm -hmm. You're paying two to cast a spell. One of those t lands that you tapped, you can just sack it to the graveyard. No problem at all. Um, something to note, because I did say counterspell. Sure. If you intend to buy the spell back, you must make that decision immediately when you're, when casting, you're casting it. it. Yes. Right. You can't make that call afterward to say oh i'm going to counter your constant miss and you say oh well i guess i'm not going to buy it back then no 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 no. you choose to buy it back by sacrificing the land before you put the spell on the stack mm -hmm. or as you put the spell on the stack um mike this is it's arguably the best fog in the entire game it's incredibly strong you can cast it over and over and over and you usually don't even have to right it's it's it, it's its own version of a rattlesnake and i'm i'm a, it's because because again that was a recent episode but after they see it once and you put it back in your hand you're absolutely right they have to have another stage of thinking of well i have to find a way to actually stop that or making sure that you're using that you've got enough lands to where you can recur this without too much of an issue it's mm -hmm. 
it's it's another one of those it does one thing but it does it so well that it makes every other decision that your opponents have to make for the rest of the game just that much more complicated and i love and cards like it you're in green yep your ability to sacrifice one or more lands and not be significantly impeded is much higher than say a white deck or a mono red deck mm-hmm if I see somebody resolve a constant miss, I assume that they're willing, because I would be willing, to sacrifice pretty much all the way down to zero lands if they have to, just to draw into their win con. Sure. So it's it's quite devious. Mike, let's talk about uh, another quite famous fog that is a little bit deceiving. It's a okay. little bit of a trap, but I think that in the right meta, it works wonders, and that's Arachnogenesis. Yeah, I was. I, no. I, you've you've mentioned this card a couple of times, and mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. I kind of had a feeling that that's where you were going to be leaning here. Right. So Arachnogenesis is two and a green for an instant that says create X one two green spider creature tokens with reach, mm-hmm. where X is the number of creatures attacking you. Prevents all combat damage that would be dealt this turn by non-spider creatures. Sure. So when people read this, when I read this, your first thought is, this will go great in my tokens deck. (laughs) No. Wrong. You are dead wrong, and I'm going to tell you why. Token decks don't get swung into by token decks. They sure don't. First they'll wipe the board, then they'll attack you. There's no way in hell that somebody is going to swing into a token deck with 20 plus creatures or however many creatures you right. think that you want to get value off of this. It's not happening. Unless it's Here's just how the you... two of you at the end. And, right. Well, this is right. how it has to end. Right. But that's not fair. You don't. Most of the time that you're playing EDH is not heads up unless right. unless you're playing 1v1 EDH. Then totally different story. But yep. we're not talking about that nope. today. So this is where I recommend you run Arachnogenesis. If you are in a meta like mine mm-hmm. that has a lot of token decks, I have a lot of token decks. If you're constantly playing against me or Mike, I think Mike has a couple of token decks. I got a couple. If, if you're in our meta, in, in the meta that we used to be in together, uh, and you see a lot of token decks, this is a great fog. Yes. Because not only are you preventing combat damage, which is almost certainly the main way that a token deck will win. There are aristocrats decks that will win with a life loss combo, right. but most of them are going to win with uh, with combat. This will completely hose the token deck. Almost certainly, if they're 1-1s one and they're swinging in, they're all dead. Mm-hmm. And now you have that many spiders that aren't dead, and now you can crack back with them or sack them all. Sack them all, the, crack back, at the, at the right. very least, if you want... if. If they only attacked with half the team, well, I don't care if they're flying. At least they've got reach. You know, the magical Christmas land value. The ceiling is through the roof. Oh yeah, but, but it's... you have to be careful not to get right attracted to the lights, uh-huh. the blinky shiny lights. Because if you're like me, Mike, when I first saw this card, I'm like, I love token decks. I love being defensive. I love pillow for it. Mm-hmm. I love uh, exciting reversals of fortune like this. This seemed perfect for my token deck, but it's sure. not. I it's it's another one of those it when it works it works so well and you're so mm-hmm. satisfied but any other time it's a wow I have a three mana fog I'm paying three times for the effect that I want to for this thing to get what a 
couple more spiders, I guess, maybe. What it, it's, I like Arachnogenesis, but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. It is, it is 100% a trap. Um, yes. So those are some. Did you have any other fogs that you want to talk about? I do. I, I have a, I have okay. a couple more. Now we've talked about Maze of Ith. I'm not going to go into it. Okay. But obviously, Maze of Ith, number one, greatest. We talked about it in a rattlesnake episode to great detail. Go listen to that. We talk about how Maze of Ith works, how you can threaten with it, mm-hmm. how you can get more than one uh, use out of it, and it's just fantastic. That's another one that's not a land in your land count. Sure. But there's another one that's very similar to Maze of Ith that sees a lot less play, but it's almost as good. Mm-hmm. Almost as good. And that's Corhaven. Yeah. Corhaven is a legendary land mm-hmm. that has a mana ability. Big difference. It has tap at a colorless. That The difference between having a mana ability on a land and not having one is enormous. Sure. And the trade-off is that Maze of Ith's Fog ability costs zero mana to activate. Right. This one costs two. It costs one and a white. Or three equivalent if you count this land. Uh, one and a white and tap prevent all combat damage that would be dealt by target attacking creature this turn. Now, that is a little bit more upside than it originally seems. So if we go back to Maze of Ith, and again, we're not really going to get into it, but I'm just going to read its ability, and I want you to compare it to Corhaven's ability. Maze of Ith's ability says tap untap target attacking creature prevents all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that creature this turn mm-hmm. Corhaven says no such thing not only do you not untap that creature so it's still tapped down if it doesn't have vigilance but if it's been blocked it still receives damage from creatures that are blocking it right that's a significant change mike how do you feel uh you're right it, it's the issue that i have for the most part Mm-hmm. Is that I'm I'm less concerned about one creature when I'm dealing with fogs, or at the very least, if it when it says prevent all combat damage, well, if I'm being mm-hmm. attacked by a commander, the commander damage rule still applies, correct? No. Oh. If if damage is prevented, commander damage is also prevented. Okay. Uh, we need to be very exacting with this. The only strange out there exception where commander damage gets through is when you specifically have a your life total can't change effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. But preventing damage prevents commander damage. Well, fair enough. Well, is this, I mean, I, it's a good card. It, it went up a little bit in my opinion, knowing that now. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. It's an interesting one. This isn't in here because it's not all. But it because we're talking about um, you know preventing specific damage from a thing, can mm-hmm. we talk about one of my favorite cards just because of the art? Sure, let's hear it. Alex, I want to talk to you about Deflecting Palm. Oh my, that's quite the art. It really is. Um, it is literally a talk to the hand. Uh, deflecting Palm, one red, one white for an instant. The next time a source of your choice would deal damage to you this turn, prevent that damage. If damage is prevented this way, Deflecting Palm deals that much damage to that source's controller. There is literally no better talk to the hand, I don't want to deal with this, you Mm -hmm. take it. Um, And the art of just putting up a blocking hand and bones going through fingers of the attacker, um, it's rough. Yeah, let's go into the detail of just how good this art is. This art is from uh, Eric DeChamp, and 
it's from uh, mm-hmm. I think it's from Khans Khans Turk here, and holy moly, yep. is this the picture speaks a thousand words? So we have, uh, I believe she's a monk. I, I don't think, think that's Narset, right. but I think that's just one of the monks from uh, from the Khans, and she's not even looking at at center front. She just puts up the hand to block, and you see these waves of energy radiating from the block, and from uh, inward from the camera, you see the. Oh the fist punching in and it's like he's punching a steel plate because you can see that every single bone in his hand has been shattered and shoved out of his skin. They're all compound fractures. It's just so visceral, Mike. This is one of the best card arts I've ever seen. And it's a pretty effective fog. When people do something like the, the crater hoof behemoth and okay, great. All of my creatures are now, Plus thirty, plus thirty, or does does the thing where everything they're mm-hmm. attacking with is huge? Well, you have to keep in mind it's only one thing. And this is, and the part of the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is a game that you and I we were playing two headed giant on the same team, and it specifically worked. We were playing against an opponent that attacked mm-hmm. us with huge creatures and a mass of them. They just, I think it was a crater hoof behemoth kind of effect where okay, I'm attacking you guys with twenty. Mm-hmm. 35-35s. And I said, okay, uh, I'm going to deflecting palm one of them. And they were under 35 life when I did so. As the wreckage of, okay, oh, we yeah. took, I think it was like 700 damage or something ridiculous. And they took their 35. But we were both at zero or below zero. And it's one mm-hmm. of my favorite ways that I've ever not won the game. <laughs> But the ability to do that for something with combat, for burn spells, for whatever the effect is, it's always very exciting to me. And I really like Deflecting mm-hmm. Palm, and the art is pretty, so I wanted to make sure we mentioned it. No, it's great. It, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful riposte effect, and most of these just yep. negate the damage, but this turns it back. Um, sure. I got two more things, and then we can go ahead and move on. The first one is not a fog, mm-hmm. but it's also from Cons of Tarkir, and I think it's worth talking about. This is yep. Dragon Throne of Tarkir. So Dragon Throne of Tarkir is a four-mana legendary artifact equipment that says equipped creature has defender and pay two and tap. Other creatures you control gain trample mm-hmm. and get plus X plus X until end of turn where X is this creature's power equipped three. So if you have a big beefy commander or if you have some decently sized creatures and then a bunch of sure. smaller ones. Maybe you have like a token deck and then a larger commander, whatever situation you have. If you have one Goliath <laughs> and many Davids, this is going to say, okay, well, Goliath doesn't get to attack, but everyone else is dealing a ton of damage. And then I have one last one and that's Angel's Grace. Angel's Grace is, it's like the epitome of White's. I I often like to say that some of the greatest white spells, the most iconic ones, are these single white mana white spells that just have a truly explosive amount of value. Swords to plowshares, path to exile, land tax, things like that, that just disrupt the board so much for only one mana. And Angel's Grace, I think, falls right into that, and it is effectively at least for one turn, a fog. Angel's Grace is white for an instant with split second. 
and Split Second says, as long as this spell is on the stack, players can't cast spells or activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. There's almost nothing in the game that can interact with Split Second. Mm -hmm. Almost nothing. And the effect says you can't lose the game this turn, and your opponents can't win the game this turn. Until end of turn, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. That first sentence is so important. It's it's not just mm -hmm. you can't lose the game this turn. So it's not just a fog. Right. It is it is a literal no you don't get to win at the same time. And it's that's the big thing. It's huge. It's not just stopping combat because we talked about this at the beginning. There's many ways to win. Mm -hmm. You got your combat, you got your mill, you got your all win cons. Sure. Life loss combo, damage combo. This stops all of them. Some of them permanently, some of them for one turn. But the important thing is that it stops every single one <laughs> for one mana. And that's why this card costs mm -hmm, twenty dollars yep <laughs> yep it's uh all right that's all i had it's not a cheap card it's a good card one it's of my absolute card. favorites i love it so much uh so okay that's we've talked about ways to try and overrun we've mm -hmm. talked about ways to prevent or even redirect a little bit of damage what if you what if you don't want to overrun what if you just want to you love combat so much that you just want to do it as many times as you possibly can manage let's look into extra combats and things along right. those lines. I, I mean, I, I think the one of the more iconic ones that you get, I, obviously there's some creatures uh, that we can get into in a bit, but just Relentless Assault. That's just a two generic red-red sorcery. Untap all creatures that attack this turn. You get an additional combat phase, or, followed by an additional main phase this turn. So it's just, mm -hmm. hey, let's run that back. Let's do that again. Getting extra combats is huge for some some creatures, but for some commanders, it's their mm -hmm. win condition. That's the truly remarkable thing about extra combat steps mm -hmm. is not only do you have the extra combat steps, and there are many effects that trigger each combat step, which is great. Yeah. But there's something else on top of that, and that's that almost all of these effects that grant an extra combat step are also granting an extra main, main phase, phase, yes, which is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. That means that you can react with sorcery effects to the changes that have happened with each combat. Yep. You can play a land when you want to play a land in any of your three plus main phases. It's, it's a very strong effect. Let's talk about the big kahuna. <laughs> the undisputed... CEDH queen of extra combat steps. You know who I'm talking about. It's Najila, the Blade Blossom. I didn't want to start with her. <laughs> Listen, knew we, we got to we we, start with no, the mean you're right, one. You're right. And then we'll move on to the nice ones. You're right. The, the ahead, less mean buddy. ones. So Najila, the Blade Blossom, is two and a red for a legendary creature, human warrior, with whenever a warrior attacks, you may have its controller create a 1-1 one, one white warrior creature token that is tapped and attacking. Mm -hmm. And then she has her activated ability for Wooberg. Untap all attacking creatures. They gain trample, lifelink, and haste until end of turn. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Activate this ability only during combat. She's a 3-2. Um, there are many effects in the game where as soon as she attacks once with five mana, she wins. Yeah. Yeah. Just by attacking forever. Now, she doesn't get a main phase. 
Correct. She doesn't get an extra main phase. She just goes from uh, attack combat phase and end of combat step all the way right next to beginning of combat step, just looping the combat phase over and over and over. Mm-hmm. You don't see too many of these because she is extremely high power. Yeah. Um, it's pretty hard to build her at lower than an eight or a nine because she just kind of wins the game. She just kind of goes and yeah. everybody says, oh, well, I guess it's over now. Great. Right. <laughs> um, there's definitely a more casual angle to this, right, though. There's there's more commanders that are not so punishing, but they do still feel punishing and they create the feel bads. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that really makes you feel bad, it's having your stuff stolen. Yeah. And is there anything worse than having your stuff stolen than having multiple things stolen each turn? So when we talk about it's Holly the Primal Storm. Yeah. For four red red, which is a legendary creature, elder dinosaur for a 6-6. With whenever it's Holly attacks, exile the top card of each player's library. Then you may cast any number of spells from among those cards without paying their mana costs. Now, this is pretty devastating. Once a turn. How about two times a turn? How about five times a turn? Right. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's awesome. And and synergize. Atali is one of those awesome commanders uh, because oh, yeah. it, it, it. All right, don't get mad at me. I'm just going to beat you with your own stuff. It's not mm-hmm. my fault. Make make a make a less good deck. <laughs> um, but you're 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 talking about what it does and how ridiculous it it can get. But that means you need to have those repeatable combats. So right, it's not on the commander. Nope. So yeah. how about uh, we talk about aggravated assault? Um, so this is a two generic and one red enchantment for three generic red, red untap all creatures you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. Play this ability only anytime you could act, you could play a sorcery. Uh, that seems like a really, really, really easy way to just, well, can I provide five mana if I can, and I can repeat it combat forever. Let's go. Everybody's yeah, very, swinging away. Very combo heavy card because yep. it has that activated ability that doesn't require the permanent to tap. Nope. As many times as you can pay for it, you can make it happen. Oof. So Najila will typically win with a combo like this, with something like aggravated assault. Now she has sure. her own aggravated assault on her. On her. Yeah. That's even better, yeah. But a lot of commanders can use aggravated assaults in lieu of that simply with an effect that allows you to uh, tap your creatures for mana mm-hmm. or generate mana out of thin air. Sure. There are several effects that allow you to generate mana when you attack or when you go to a combat phase and attack with one creature. There's that dragon that generates six mana when it attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Savage like Ventmal. Yes. Yes. Now, there are quite a few effects like this. There's mm-hmm. uh, Waves of Aggression, which is a three Boros Boros. That's red and white hybrid. Mm-hmm for a sorcery that says untap all creatures that attacked this turn. After this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. Mm -hmm. So you you cast this on your second main phase, your post-combat main phase. Sure. Uh, But it also has retrace, which says you may cast this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. So here we have another one. As long as you are able to continue paying for the effect, you can continue to get additional combat steps, yep. which is phenomenal. There are a lot of 
a lot of commanders that benefit from having additional combat steps. Uh, Hellkite Charger mm-hmm. is one of those creatures. Whenever it attacks, you can pay five double red. If you do, untap all attacking creatures. Yep. And then there's an additional combat phase. And you're right, Savage Ventmaw. Whenever it attacks, you add a triple red, triple green, six mana. Uh, there's a lot of dragons on this, because the other way to try and get uh, extra combats on a creature that's pretty popular <laughs> uh, is our good boy, the Scourge of the Throne. Four generic, two red for a dragon, five, five flying with Dethrone. Uh, whenever it attacks player with the most life or tied for the most life, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. But when it attacks for the first time each turn, if it's attacking the player with the most life or tied for the most life, Untap all attacking creatures, and there's additional combat phase. So you're not getting that additional main phase after, but it's a good way of getting yourself an additional combat just by attacking the person who's in the best position, as long as it isn't you. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And uh, I see on this list a, I guess you could call it an old flame, but it's really more like an old rival. Um, And that's Kali of the Vast. Yeah, I was going to see if you were going to bring her up. (laughs) No, I'm definitely bringing her up. Kali of the Vast is uh, one red, white, black. For a 2-2 legendary creature, Human Cleric, uh, she was quite the scourge a few years ago, and I'll tell you mm-hmm. that right now. Flying, whenever Kalia attacks an opponent, you may put an angel, demon, or dragon creature card from your hand on the battlefield, tapped and attacking that opponent. Yep. Which is good. <laughs> and then if you have additional combat steps, it's really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, like... Three, four, or five years ago, if you sat down at a table and somebody was playing Kalia, instead of being like, oh, that's a pretty good commander, it was like, Mayday, Mayday, we got a... Arch enemy, everybody, keep yeah, your eyes over at this direction. You know, there's another another one I see on this list, Mike, that's uh, players who think of Kalia when they think of old, strong commanders. You might think of her, too. And uh, you know who I'm talking about. That's Narset. Yeah. Uh, and not new Narset. This is old Narset. Old Narset. Narset Enlightened Master. This is one of those old style kill on sight commanders. Because once she starts swinging in for damage, you're in big trouble. That's three blue, red, white for a 3-2 legendary creature human monk with first strike and hexproof. The hexproof wow. is what kills me. Yeah. <laughs> Having hexproof. You literally just on said kill on sight. And it's like, good luck. Yeah, that's pretty rough. So she has whenever Narset attacks, exile the top four cards of your library until end of turn. You may cast non-creature cards exiled with Narset this turn without paying their mana costs. Mm-hmm. So naturally, if you build her the way that most people build her, you're going to be attacking once, <laughs> and then you draw maybe a couple of extra turn spells or extra combat spells, mm-hmm. and then you win the game. Yep. It's a, yeah. uh, if I get to swing, the only way that I don't win is if I whiff. And right. that's... Oh, that never feels great. Um, That's interesting. Like, some of the strongest commanders in EDH's history are combat-based commanders. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the thing. The ones that we mentioned specifically, Atali, Najila, Narset, Kalia, they're all Mm -hmm. commanders that when they hit the table, there is an oh no. Yeah. And yet. Combat isn't as celebrated. I think uh, I don't. It, mm. It's 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 kind of a weird disconnect. I don't know. It's in a weird place, and yeah. I think we'll have uh, a little bit something to say about that in in our next segment. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that you want to move on to, to our do, next list of cards here. Because I was gonna say, I, 
part of the reason that it seems weird that people don't like combat is because combat's really fun. So sometimes you need to just show people exactly how fun it is, and you do that by forcing them into combat. Mm. Um, so let's move on to some of uh, the forced combat cards. Now, we could start with, you know, some of the traditional ones. Uh, goad is always really, really important. Gotta love goad. I kind of want to go the weird way and then pivot right. back to where, where Force Combat is. Let's let's see where Mike's going with this. Uh, I want to talk about Pramicon. That's what I was going to start with. Good. Uh, <laughs> we can both talk about it because this is the goofiest card. Uh, so oh, yeah. one blue, one red, one white for a legendary creature wall. Okay. Uh, that is a 1-5 one, one flying defender. When it enters the battlefield, choose left or right. Each player may attack only the nearest opponent in the chosen direction and planeswalkers controlled by that opponent. It is literally the cha-cha slide combat card. It No, yeah. to the left. <laughs> and I, it's so silly, and it makes games so weird. Ugh. Yeah, this is, uh, when this got spoiled, this was in Commander 19 mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Everyone was like, what in the hell is that thing? This is a truly interesting card and there's a lot of different kinds of decks that would have this at the helm that you may not think of obviously there's forced combat because you can literally control it's like okay the player on my right mm -hmm. has the weaker board so i want to attack into them or maybe the player on the left has the weaker board so I don't want to let them attack into me. So I'll attack into them, and they have to attack into someone else. Sure. So you know it, it has that it has that decision tree there. But uh, there's more than one type of deck that wants to stop people from attacking you, mm -hmm. like Super Friends decks. Right. Super Friends decks would be perfectly happy if no one attacked anyone. Yep. And they can just generate infinite value. With their planeswalkers. <laughs> um, and Pillow Fort, this is a way to instantly eliminate. Uh, if you're in a pot of four, that's two thirds of your opponents can't attack you mm -hmm. as long as there are still three other people in the game. Yep. It's it's a great card. It, it's a silly effect that is extremely effective. Yeah. What you got? What what do you what give me give me something here. Force me into combat. Okay. Force you into combat. Yeah. All right. Here's an old favorite. Okay. Now this isn't forced, but let's say it's encouraging, <laughs> which I which I might prefer. Sure. Uh, Gahiji Honored One. Sure. Gahiji Honored One is a two red, green, white for a four four legendary creature beast that says whenever a creature attacks one of your opponents or a planeswalker your opponent controls, that creature gains plus two plus zero until end of turn. Mm -hmm. That's a very simple effect. Yep. That is just enough to say, hey, I know you want to attack me, but listen, you could massively increase the amount of damage you can deal if you just attack somebody else. Yeah. Maybe you can attack their planeswalker with two creatures and it just blows up. It's a different type of kill them with value card. Hey, right. you could attack me, but think about all the damage that you're leaving on the table. Gosh, yeah, know. that's a great one. So you're talking about being polite and encouraging combat and trying to get some value out of it, which is 
100% respectable. I appreciate that. You're a good person. Uh, I'm going to lean into being a bad person for a little bit longer and talk about Avatar of Slaughter. Um, oh, yeah. Six generic, two red for an 8-8 Avatar. All creatures have double strike and attack each turn if able. You know what? I don't care where they're going, but they're going, and they're going hard. Let's go! Uh, Avatar Slaughter is ridiculous. Let's read that flavor text, because this is perfect. Yep. Diplomacy has solved nothing. nothing. Only blood spill can end this now. Call forth the Warbringer, and that's Bassandra the Battle Seraph. Um, yeah, this, <laughs> this is the card where uh, where combat's going to happen. Yep. And things are going to die. People yep. are going to lose the game. This is an eight mana effect, and it punches at its weight. Yep. Because this is an 8-8 eight, eight with double strike. That means it's hitting for 16 every combat. And that's not the only thing that's dealing devil damage. Everything is commanders, yep. tokens, everything. It's so good. You, you, oh my gosh. Avatar of Slaughter, son. There was a new one that's, uh, that we just reviewed mm-hmm. in, uh, in our call time set review, and that's... Carter. Carter Doomscourge. Yep. I'm going to briefly talk about this. Yeah, go for it. Two generic, a black, and a red for a legendary creature, Demon Berserker. Four, three, when it enters the battlefield, until next turn, creatures your opponents control attack each combat if able, and attack a player other than you if able. Whenever an attacking creature dies, each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. Yeah, Mike, that's Goad. Yeah. That's just what Goad is. Great effect on an uncommon commander, but uh, I mean, we got we to gotta at least mention the OG, right? Disrupt Decorum. We've got to just talk about it a little bit. I mean, Disrupt okay. Decorum. Go for it. You mean okay? I mean, no, I'm I'm encouraging. When you said you said the OG, I thought you were going in a different direction. So let's talk about Disrupt Decorum first. Disrupt Decorum. The OG in Goad. Mm-hmm. For two red red sorcery, goad all creatures you don't control. Mm-hmm. And I know we've gone over this before. Goad has two statutes. First one. Creature must attack every combat, if able. Second one, it must attack someone other than you, if able. So, if there's no one that it can attack except you, it can still attack you. That usually won't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a put everybody in a really bad position, hopefully, and then see if you can clean up after the fact, which is why it's a, you know, Fifteen dollar card or something along those lines. It's a really point. nice political effect, but uh, that's not the only card that has goad. And you showed me this one, Mike, and I was uh, immediately intrigued mm-hmm. because it seems like there's quite a few cards in uh, Theris Beyond Death that I just didn't pay attention to, and uh, that's Agitator Ants. Yeah, yeah. You want to do this one? Yes, I do, because it's my good little ant boy. Um, it's two and a two generic and a red for a two-two creature insect at the beginning of your end step. Each player may put two plus one plus one counters on a creature they control. Goad each creature that had counters put on it this way. So mm-hmm. this is right in of our right into our political. Hey, I'm gonna pump something up if you want to. All you have to do is not swing at me with it. Right, and that's great. Yeah, this, this is interesting because this one reminds me of a card that we've talked about before, and that's Orzhov Advocist, mm-hmm. which is very similar to this effect. Um, and it's simply, it's it's basically almost the exact same thing. Right. Uh, except it happens at a different time in the turn. And uh, and that player can put two 1-1 counters on a creature they control, and then 
rather than that creature being goaded, none of that player's creatures can attack you. Yes. So, I don't know. Orzhov of Advocates definitely has has its charms here, but uh, I think that what this has is it almost has a little bit more of the carrot than the stick. Yeah. Because when you're pumping for goad, it's not like, okay, well, please don't attack me. It's more like, hey, get them riled up and just point them over there. Mm-hmm. I'm, Even though it is really the same effect. I'm, I'm not telling you to not hit me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not playing this card so people aren't swinging. I'm literally trying to gas up the engines. Let's go. <laughs> I'm encouraging combat. Just, you know, point it elsewhere for a bit. Love that so much. When we're talking about forcing combat, first of all, when you said yeah. you were, we were talking about the OG, I could have, I would have put so much money down that you were talking about Thantis the War Weaver. That's not the OG. I mean, it's, I don't know if, when you're saying the OG, I'm thinking of the original gangster, not the original gangster sorcery. So that's me. I apologize. Okay. Uh, three generic black, red, green for a 5-5 five, five legendary creature spider with vigilance and reach. All creatures attack each combat if able, and whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, put a plus one plus one counter on Thantis the War Weaver. So he becomes a very big spider if people are swinging at you, and they're definitely gonna be swinging. Mm-hmm. So I've always liked Thantis. I I'm in the process of collecting the cards that actually make the Thantis deck because that is one of those. I I'm trying to build more around the. You know, with the pandemic and everything, that's a that is a card and a commander. I think I can build that would translate very well onto a you know socially distance online paper magic stream. And I'm hoping sure. for that. Here's one that we haven't really gotten into, but is is relevant, and and that's an old standby, Mike, and that's uh, attack tax effects, mm-hmm. effects that force you to pay. If you want to be able to attack. Yeah. And here's your number one right here. Propaganda. Mm-hmm. Propaganda is two and a blue for an enchantment. Creatures can't attack you unless their controller pays two for each creature they control that's attacking you. Mm-hmm. So that makes it pretty hard to swing in with more than one or two creatures. It makes it very undesirable to swing in. And this is worth noting uh, we talked about this in uh, in our Commander Legends review, but if you have an attack tax up, creatures that are forced to attack cannot be forced to attack you. Okay. Because when you have something restricting things being allowed to attack you, for example, propaganda, pay two, or they can attack you, you can't compel somebody to pay that cost. So even if... You had an effect that said all creatures your opponents control must attack you. If you have propaganda or ghostly prison or anything like that, they can't be forced to do it. They still can if they want right. to, but you can't make them. And to turn that around, if you have something like Thantis and you have an attack tax effect, not only do they not want to attack you because they'll pump Thantis, but it's going to cost them more mana and any forced combat effect, even if your head's up, they're just not, they're not going to swing into you. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's a, it's a great deterrent, but at the same time, I love forced combat because it, it encourages the game to go faster because either players are attacking Mm. when they don't want to, and they're going to lose things because they can't be as strategic as they'd prefer. Or 
they're going to attack with things and then people are open. So if you're trying to get a game to just, if your meta is a little bit slow Mm -hmm. and you want to speed it up, this is a really good way to do it. Um, but at the same time, you know what? I'm starting to feel bad, you know, talking about Avatar of Slaughter and Thantis. So how about if I'm just the only one and I'm forcing combat for myself? We have to talk about my goodest boy. This is the only time that he's actually going to fit in this conversation, ah. I think. Ruhan of the Fomori! Yeah, there it is. So Ruhan of the Fomori is a one generic red, white, blue, 7-7. Mm-hmm. Seven, seven. <laughs> legendary creature giant warrior that, that that's correct that is a four mana seven seven with but the downside why? of yeah. at the beginning of combat on your turn choose an opponent at random ruhan of the fomori attacks that player this combat if able uh somebody wants to be voltron <laughs> i yeah, love absolutely. i love ruhan so much absolutely now that's a fun one um here's another one that's uh mm-hmm. That's from a little bit in in the recent past that controls combat very effectively. Sure. And that's Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Yeah. So Miri is a one green white for a 3-2 legendary creature cat warrior with first strike. And she says whenever Miri attacks, each opponent can't block with more than one creature this combat. So as long as Miri is attacking, no matter how many attacking creatures you have... Your opponents can only use one creature to block right. at most total. Uh, and then she also has as long as Miri Weatherlight Duelist is tapped, which she does to attack, mm-hmm. no more than one creature can attack you each combat. Right. So you get them coming and going. Yep. You you get them you get them to where it's literally a duel, but at the same time, if they're tapped, okay, not a problem. I I've got crawl space on a creature essentially. You can, mm-hmm. you can swing at me with one thing. I hope you make it count. I like Miri. Oh, yeah. What else you got for us, Alex? How about Goblin Spymaster? Yeah. Okay. Goblin Spymaster is two and a red for a 2-1 creature goblin rogue with first strike. And at the beginning of each opponent's end step, that player creates a 1-1 red goblin creature token with creatures you control attack each combat if able. Now, this is the best thing because, number one, I'm giving value to my opponents, which yep. you know I love. Uh, and number two, they really don't want it. Yep, there it is. <laughs> they don't want this value. I, I, <laughs> the I, first thing that most of them try to do is attack each other to try to kill their goblin spy masters. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, again... It, I don't know if it's the winner, uh, but it's definitely ah in the... no, it's not the winner, but it's oh fun. no, I'm talking I'm talking about uh, in the flavor text category because Avatar mm. of Slaughter is scary. This is just fun. Infiltrate and infuriate. Goblin Espionage League motto, which is like okay, what's the what's the motto of the Goblin Spy League? Infiltrate and infuriate. Well, fair enough, and it does exactly that to all of your opponents. It's a it's a good card. <laughs> There, uh, there's one more goblin that fits in here that is a little bit less well known, but uh, I think it's fun. This is Goblin Diplomats for mm-hmm. one in a red. It's a creature goblin of two one, and it just very simple activated ability tap. Each creature attacks this turn if able. Yep, that's it. You're gonna put one person in a really bad position because they don't want to. Yep, and it's a that's the other effect. thing is is you you worry about. 
right? You worry about being overrun with your opponent's creatures attacking you if you force them to attack. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Most of the time, as Mike said, they're not ready to attack. And there are certain creatures that they never want to attack with, utility creatures, creatures that generate them value on board like they're an enchantment. Mm-hmm. They never want to attack with those. You're forcing them, and by forcing them, you also have that soft removal where you can block it and it dies. That's something to remember. Absolutely. These are all things to remember. Yeah. Combat is cool. Combat is weird. These are really interesting cards because combat is interesting. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things that even though most decks are built to win with it, the amount of conversation that goes into it, other than it's just like, oh, this thing does a lot of damage and I like doing damage. Let's put it in there. But you can do some pretty tricky stuff with your combat step, and we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later uh, when we come back from our break. We're going to give some advice to our players. We're going to talk about a couple more cards that are extremely underplayed. And then Alex is going to walk us through the combat step and see if there's anything that we can interact with, because it's, it's pretty misunderstood. We'll be right back. All right, we're back, and we are here with our Something Old, Something New uh, segment where I like to give some advice to some newer players with Alex giving some advice to our more veteran players. And this week, I'm going to try and tie it into combat, not specifically, but generally. So when you're looking at the cards that you can play or the cards that you can put into a deck, stop worrying about what's going to be the most exciting thing for one of your opponents or what's going to be the most exciting thing in the best case scenario start doing the things that make you happy and excite you because you're the one who's going to be interacting with it yeah you've got the other people at the table but as much as i say i don't like stacks if you like playing stacks build it do it Just make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page as far as what you're actually trying to accomplish. So when we Mm -hmm. talk about combat and people don't give it nearly enough credit as far as I'm concerned, and I think Alex agrees, if you want to build a combat deck, then do it. It doesn't matter if people go, oh, it's another tribal deck. Great. Well, it's your deck. Do it. Have fun Mm -hmm. with it. Just make sure that you're respectful and that your goal is for everybody to have fun, but don't suffer at the same time. Does that make sense, Alex? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. The The first thing that's most important is that the deck makes you happy. Yep. And then right after that, or maybe for me even more important, is that it makes other people happy. But that doesn't mean that you need to conform to what other people want you to do. Right. It just means that whatever you're doing, do it in the way that makes you happiest and is the most fun to play against. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to restrict yourself from any archetype that you feel is either played out or uh, maybe too mean, as long as you're thinking of your own enjoyments. And I'm not talking about sadistic enjoyment. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, having fun with your friend's enjoyment. Yep. Right. Couldn't have said um, it better myself, Alex, and I tried. <laughs> well, uh, you did just say it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got for us this week, Alex? All right. Well, I do have something for veteran players. And like you said, it it can be difficult if you have a meta that is very averse to combat because as we said combat is completely ubiquitous and it's the easiest way for any given deck to win Mm -hmm. you don't really have to put in any really extra stuff put in some overrun effects Um, but at the same time people don't like to lose and they view their life total as like their score sure which i think veteran players have 
understood, and you probably understand this, is that your live total is not your score. It's a resource. It's just a, it's just another resource pool that mm-hmm. you can draw from. And part of drawing from that is tanking hits to the face. Yeah. So let's talk about reframing combat. And that's that combat is like a conversation. A conversation has motivations. Mm-hmm. Maybe someone's trying to get to know you better. Maybe somebody's trying to get you to do a favor, help them move next week. Maybe someone's trying to get you to sign someone else out of your will. I don't know. There's lots of different <laughs> kinds of conversations. Um, but having those motivations made clear puts everybody in the conversation at an equal footing, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to have a conversation with someone where you're manipulating them because that's kind of icky, isn't it? I mean, you're, yeah, that's that's not a good thing. But if you are making it clear up front, listen, this is what I want, and here's why I think we should do that. But you know, we're, I'm, I'm not telling you what's uh, what's what's up. But uh, this can be translated into combat. Mm-hmm. Combat has motivations too. There's a reason why you're swinging in, why you want to swing in, why you need to swing in. You can make that motivation known. You can say, hey. I need to get this attack trigger off. Um, if you help me with it, then I won't attack you with any of my other stuff or I won't point the trigger at you. You can strike some sort of deal with that. That's just one example. Sure. But there's other things too, like, um, oh my God, why are you chipping in? That's something that some content creators recommend chipping in, which is um, at every earliest opportunity to always swing in, especially at the very start of a game. Um, just to start lowering people's life totals. And I'm not necessarily endorsing or condemning that, but that's something that if you're doing that, you can make that motivation known and say, hey, my deck functions better when the game doesn't go as long. It's more of an aggressive deck. So I'm going to play to my advantage and attack earlier in the game. And you guys will have to try to stop me because if it gets to late game, I can't really win anymore. That kind of being candid, being open and, and communicating about what you're trying to do is a lot less likely to elicit the, oh, why are you hitting me for one? The game just started like that kind of feel bad situation where people just had this knee jerk reaction to being attacked. Yeah. Why and I me? think that that's right. That's a pretty common issue. And I think I felt that way when I first started playing. I'm like, oh, don't attack me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a good, you don't want to have that attitude because people don't like playing with it. They don't like playing against it. And I don't think you'll like yourself mm-hmm. when you're doing that. So when you're attacking, that's my advice. Make your intentions known. If you intend to whittle someone down to the death, say you, you, Mike are going to die or I'm going to die trying to kill you because that is what my deck does. Fair enough. And if I communicate that to him instead of just attacking him over and over, it's more of a situation like, all right, so it's a fight to the death then instead of, <laughs> oh, why is Alex always picking on me right. all the time? You know what? Yeah. How do you feel about that, Mike? I mean, communicating your intent. It's something that we've discussed mm-hmm. several times. It, it translates to a lot of different factors here, but tying it into advice specifically for combat, but mm-hmm. just overall on what you want to do, I'm, I'm all for it, obviously. Nice. So that's our advice for uh, uh, diff- all players, really. But we try and find little frames of reference for everybody, as we certainly can. Um, but we've talked about a whole lot of specific cards to combat, and some of those are underplayed. But 
now we're going to talk about cards that are extremely underplayed. Uh, we each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table, and if you want to grab them, you can help us out in the process. Uh, we have partnered with TCGPlayer.com, so if you're looking for any cards, any singles, any sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH underscore social, or click the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra, and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. Alex, why don't you start us off with a card our listeners may be interested in picking up in our... Ooh, can I see that? Absolutely, Mike. This is a card from the original Commander set, and it has never been reprinted. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a shame. It really is. But also nobody's playing it, which is a shame. Let's talk about Crescendo of War. Mm-hmm. Crescendo of War is an enchantment for three and a white. That says, at the beginning of each upkeep, that's each player's upkeep, put a strife counter on Crescendo of War. Attacking creatures get plus one, plus zero for each strife counter on Crescendo of War. Sure. So they'll get pumped. And blocking creatures you control get plus one, plus zero for each strife counter on Crescendo of War. Hmm. So what's happening is each go around to the table. Let's say you have four people in your pod. At the beginning of each upkeep, put a strife counter on it. That means you're putting four counters on it for each round. Yep. That means that with each turn that passes, players are getting a plus four boost to their attack Mm -hmm. on each creature. And while you're making all of their creatures more powerful, you're making your board more threatening to their attackers. Right. Because as they get stronger and stronger, you have creatures that are more and more likely to trade with their creatures. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you right now, Mike, any effect in Commander that triggers on each, each upkeep, each upkeep, that goes by a lot faster than you would think. Mm-hmm. I said it was four. That's hard to get a grip on. Let's say that you put this out on turn four. Okay. Which makes sense. It's a four mana effect. Turn four, you're the first player. By the time turn five rolls around, it's at plus four. By the time turn six rolls around, it's at plus eight. At seven, it's plus 12. Someone's dead, turn eight, someone's plus dead before this, though. Right. Right? <laughs> so by the time <laughs> the so game good. is, by the time you're at the point where the game is going to end, you have an enchantment that is pumping the board at easily plus 10 to plus 20 mm-hmm. power. Which is a hilarious amount. Oh, yeah. And it didn't even take that long. And Um, my favorite parts about this card are the fact that it's another one of those cards that it's absolutely, it's it's a threat. It's a big Mm -hmm. problem. But But who would remove it? Who's going to remove it? Except for if I remove this while I'm in the process of being attacked, I'll survive the attack. So (laughs) sometimes. The other part of it is... It's that effect where, well, I could get rid of it, but I get it next. (laughs) So I don't want to get rid of it until after. I'll get rid of it after I use it. Right, exactly. And unfortunately, that usually means that it keeps going and it keeps going. And you're, you're encouraging other people to attack. You're discouraging them from attacking you without literally forcing anybody to do anything. Exactly. Um, Absolute bomb. Great card. It's great. Mike, this card is in 
777 decks, which is 0%. Jackpot. Um, it was first, yeah, jackpot. It was first <laughs> printed and only printed in uh, Commander 2011. Yep. And it was in the Zedru deck. Huh. Um, that's good fun. And it's uh, it's $6.40 right now in CCG Player. So if you're hearing about this card and you're like, what? Yeah. You go ahead and go on down to our uh, our affiliate link, which is bit.ly slash EDH underscore social and buy a Crescendo of War. And I guarantee you will have a great time with it, Mike. It's a really good card. I'm really happy about uh, that selection. So peek behind the curtain. My card for this segment, um, it's actually two cards. And... Well, it's a card and a half because you gave me half. Anyway, so I want to talk about Sakiko, Mother of Summer, first. Uh, now, this is a four generic, two green, three, three legendary creature, Snake Shaman, um, that says whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, add that much green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. Now, Sakiko is in a total... Give me a second, because I'm on Commander, unfortunately. Uh, Sakiko is in a total of about 606 decks of hmm. just shy of 230,000. And you said, hey, Mike, that makes sense. But do you know that she has an enchantment? And I got excited, and you pointed out Mark of Sakiko. <laughs> For one in a green, that says the exact same thing. Enchant creature, enchanted creature has... Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, add that much green. Until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as depths and phases end. It's so, the exact same effect. Yeah. So one of them is whenever, you know, your creatures do this. This one mm. is one creature. When it does it, here you go. Um, so maybe you don't want to make a Sakiko. Because she's six mana. That's a lot. Six mana. That's a lot. Yeah. Maybe you, if you ran that card and it, well, it relies on it, and I don't really want to make that my commander. Maybe you got a okay, Voltron great. deck, though. Yeah. Who wants to add? Who wants to add green mana? You know what's really good? Let's put this. Let's put this on green Omnath. You know, let's let's really oh. roll with this <laughs> and do some terrible stuff. Like I'm let's... in. Um, this is a oh card. Oh my god. This is a card that is uh, about 50 cents and in 324 decks. So, first of all, Alex, thank you for the assist. Second of all, sure. these are both really cool cards. And all three of these cards, all the cards we've talked about, if you're interested in any of them, check out the link on our show notes. We've been talking about combat. And combat seems really straightforward and simple. It, I have my creatures at my combat. I can attack with them. The players get to block that I am attacking, and then there's damage, the end. But it's a little bit more complicated for that. Uh, so, Alex, in our judges' corner this week, take me through the actual combat step. T take our listeners through the little synergies and, most importantly, the actual steps that are a little bit misunderstood. Absolutely, Mike. So, you're right. Combat is... Almost like a black box. People have a vague understanding of how it works most of the time, mm -hmm. which is good enough for kitchen table. Sure. But if we're getting into that nitty gritty and we're doing our combat tricks and messing around with some, some sneaky business and really trying to push the game to its limits, we need to know exactly what's going on at every step. And if that sounds interesting to you, listen on, our dear listeners, because we're going to get into 
the comprehensive rule book. And I'm going to try to make it as interesting as possible because <laughs> we're really getting into the nitty gritty here. So the important thing to remember about the combat phase, and I've called it the step. It's not a, it's not a step. A phase is larger than a step. Sure. So the combat phase encompasses five steps. We'll go through each of them. We've got the beginning of combat step, the declare attacker step, the declare blocker step, the combat damage step, and the end of combat step. That's the now, one, right? Right. If you are a newer player or you're not as familiar with the rules, two of those might have sounded pretty weird. Mm-hmm. But there are indeed two steps, one at the beginning before attackers are declared and one at the end after damage is dealt where combat is still happening. And that means there's a lot of shenanigans you can do. And I think Mike has one for later on mm-hmm. where you can really take advantage of that fact yeah. because during each of those, each of these steps, uh, every step that we're going to be talking about, there's going to be a round of priority, which means you can activate abilities and cast spells as well so, as your opponents. Yes. So let's start at the top. <clears throat> after your pre-combat main phase, after everyone has passed priority and it gets back to you, then you're going to move into the combat phase, which starts with the beginning of combat step. Nothing happens at the beginning of combat except for triggered abilities that happen uh, at the beginning of combat. So if anything says at the beginning of each combat or at the beginning of combat on your turn, anything like that, those triggered abilities will go on the stack and then the active player, who's you, will receive priority. And then you can do whatever you want at instant speed and then everyone else can do whatever they want at instant speed until everyone is passed and the stack is empty. At that point, we're going to move to the declare attacker step, which is really where combat gets going. Before anyone receives priority in the declare attacker step, we've got a turn-based action, which is an action that happens automatically at the start of a stepper phase that no one can interact with because it just begins to happen immediately. That's why, Mike, we have this beginning of combat step, because once we get to the declare attacker step, it's too late to do things like tap creatures down so they can't attack or uh, make it so that you can't attack with creatures this turn. Because the moment that you move in to the declare attacker step as a turn-based action, the active player will declare their attackers. And there are a lot of bits and pieces to this. We're not going to get into all of them. But suffice to say, unless that creature is Vigilance, you're going to tap it down and you're going to declare out loud whether it's attacking a uh, opponent or an opponent's Planeswalker. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do that for every single one of your creatures that's attacking at once. Uh, you can have each creature attack a different entity. You can have one creature attack this opponent, two creatures attack that opponent, two creatures attack that Planeswalker. You can really spread it around. Once you've made that final answer and the final call of every creature you want to attack with, then the attack triggers go on the stack. This is stuff like Kalia, right? Mm -hmm. You attack with her, and then you get a free creature onto the battlefield that's tapped and attacking. There are a lot of triggers like this, Mike, that say whenever something attacks, something goes onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. This is important because... There are some edge cases, and we're not really going to get into them, where there is a very distinct difference between a creature that you have attacked with, 
attacked with here, meaning declared as an attacker during the turn-based action part of the declare attacker step in the combat phase, and a creature that's attacking but wasn't declared, like a demon that you flash out off of Kalia or something like that. Creatures that enter the battlefield attacking have not attacked. I know that sounds weird, but that's just how it is. They're just attacking. Right. They're just in the middle. They're, mi- they're, they're attacking, the but they haven't attacked. Right. That's the thing you just have to remember about attacked is attacked means declared as an attacker at the proper time. Sure. All right. So you've declared your attackers. You've gotten your attack triggers have all gone on the stack. And remember that triggers go on the stack in app-nap order. That's active player, non-active player, which means that all of my attacking triggers for my creatures attacking will go on the stack in any order that I choose. And then the next player in turn order will put all of their triggers on the stack in any order they choose. Maybe they have triggers that say whenever you are attacked by a creature or something like that. Or maybe you have um, whenever a an opponent declares three or more creatures as attackers against you anything like that those will go on the stack next next player put on next next player goes on next the player before you in turn order will then begin to resolve those triggers in reverse order unless anybody has anything to do because after all of those triggers go on the stack we're going to have a round of priority yeah the active player can do whatever they want at instant speed you can pump your stuff you can remove a blocker this is the last chance you'll have to remove blockers at instant speed because once we get into the next step, as we'll see, it's going to be too late. But uh, we've been going a mile a minute here, Mike. Are you holding on so far? I'm so far. I'm so. Uh, I, I. You haven't shook me yet. I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> okay. So during this declare attacker step, if there's anything you need to do that's mandated or optional, you need to do it at that time. So mandated would be things like. Creatures you control must attack each combat if able. That's going to come into play right now during the declare attacker step. That means that if your creature does not have summoning sickness and it's untapped Mm -hmm. and there's nothing else preventing it from attacking like glacial chasm and there's nothing in your way that prevents you from attacking a certain player, for example, uh, propaganda, ghostly prison, then that creature must be declared as an attacker. Um, and you simply, you have no other choice. Now, if you were so inclined during the beginning of combat step, if we walk back a step, uh, if you have the opportunity, you could tap down your creatures at instant speed that are forced to attack. And then by the time you get to the declare attacker step, they're no longer able to attack. That's always an option. Makes sense. If you have that ability. Um, and as I said, if you are attacking, you may have to pay certain things. There are effects that make you sacrifice things when you attack. There are effects that make you pay mana if you want to attack a certain player. All of those costs are paid during that turn-based action, before the triggers go on the stack and before we get priority. So that's the declare attacker step, Mike. Um, When we're declaring attackers, we must follow every single rule that we possibly can without breaking a single one. If we can't follow all of the rules without breaking any, we can't attack. We're just Makes not sense. able to. So let's say that you have two Premicons, um, or the Premicon on that one wall that Premicon players like to run. I think it's mm-hmm. Mystic something, where you've declared a direction of attack. 
But then you also have a copy of that permanent that's declaring the other direction of attack. So you can only attack the player to your right, but you can also only attack the player to your left. What happens? Well, you can't attack. Assuming that you aren't 1v1, as long as there are uh, three or more players in the game, Mm -hmm. you can't attack. Because we must abide by all of our restrictions without breaking any of those limitations. And because we can't attack the left player without not attacking the right player, we can't attack the right player without not attacking the left player, we simply are unable to attack. Okay. So even if we've been forced to attack, if able, this is where the if able comes in. You can't. All right. Um, so we've declared our attackers. We've gotten the triggers on the stack. We've done all the stuff we want to do. Let's move on. The declare blocker step. The declare blocker step is even more hopelessly complicated. Because blocking is way more complicated than attacking, Mike. It's it's just all over the place. So just like the declare attacker step, we have the turn-based action during the blocker step where every uh, player that is being attacked or every player controlling a planeswalker that is being attacked now has an opportunity to declare blockers as a turn-based action before any triggers go on the stack and before anyone would receive priority. Mm-hmm. Um And there are many different things you can do at this time. You can choose not to assign a blocker and just let the damage go through. You can assign a blocker. You can assign more than one blocker um, to, to each creature. And some creatures and some effects allow one creature to block multiple creatures. That's not very common, but it does exist. You've got 100 handed one. It's a classic. This creature can block an additional 99 creatures each combat. That's fun. Um, so that's something you have to keep in mind. So let's walk through this. Let's say I'm attacking Mike. Ah. And, <laughs> ah. and Mike wants to triple block it. Because he's pretty pissed off that I keep attacking him. And he wants my thing to die. Sure. So he's going to declare three of his creatures to block one of my attacking creatures. How does that actually go down? So he'll declare those three as blockers. And let's say that these are the only blocks happening. The next turn-based action that happens in this same declare blocker step is the damage assignment order. And the active player, the attacking player, makes this call. What's going on is I'm going to choose how my attacker's damage is going to get spread around. And this gets really nitty-gritty, so we're just going to try to keep it light here. If you have three tokens blocking me, three one ones, what I need to do is pick the order that I want to deal damage to each of those blockers. Yep. I'll say, okay, this one first, and then this one next, and then this one next. And what will happen is during the next step, which we'll get to, damage will be dealt to each of those creatures in turn by my attacker, and they, in turn, will deal their power in damage back to my creature. So if I've got a 5-5 and he's got three 1-1s, I need to deal one damage that's lethal to that first creature. It deals one to me. And then I can move on to the next one. Even if I don't have trample. Trample is not relevant for this part. you got to keep that in mind. This is just the blockers. So that one's had lethal damage marked on it. Move on to the next one. One damage is lethal on that, and it deals one damage to me. I'll move on to the next one. Deal one lethal damage to that and next to me. Um, 
this concept of lethal damage gets a little bit muddy because there's a lot of exceptions. But suffice to say, lethal damage is the amount of damage that would kill that creature, but it's not checking that it does. So if that creature has indestructible, right? The blocking creature has indestructible and it has, it's a one, one with indestructible lethal damage is still one damage. It just doesn't get destroyed. So you're not going to have this problem where like, oh my gosh, it's no amount of damage is lethal. So I have to deal all my damage to the indestructible. No, you're off the hook. A one, one with indestructible one damage is lethal. Um, And likewise, we also have things like Death Touch. With Death Touch, one damage is always lethal to a creature. Right. So even if you have a 5-5 blocking me, all I have to assign that creature before moving on to the next blocker is one damage because one Death Touch is lethal. The same goes for things like protection and damage prevention. Even if like indestructible, the blocker is completely immune to damage from the attacking creature, you still pretend like lethal damage is marked because it is. So let's say I have a green attacker and Mike's creature has protection from green. Even though no amount of damage by this creature will ever be dealt to that creature with pro green, Mm -hmm. I still pretend like I'm marking lethal damage on it. It's a 1-1 with pro-green. I put 1 on it. It doesn't matter that it's not going to die. We're going to act like it'll die and then move on. Does that make sense to you, Mike? That does. Great. Um, And then we have that one last thing during the declared blocker step that almost never comes up, but we'll mention it anyway. If you have a creature that can block multiple attacking creatures, this does happen sometimes, uh, you, the player that's controlling the blocker will choose the order in which your creature will block each of those creatures. And that's because it needs to deal its uh, power in damage and be dealt its damage and power by the attacking creature. And then it moves on to the next one. So that's relevant. If you have a creature that's blocking multiple creatures, it might die before it gets to the next one. So you have to make that call, which one's most important. What's the second most important and so on. If it's able to block more than two creatures, you understand. All right. So that was it's a little hairy, the declare blocker step. But now we're at the fun part, the combat damage step. This is where the magic happens. Um, let's start from the top. During the combat damage step, we're going to have another turn-based action. And that is each attacker and each blocker in turn will deal its power in damage up to lethal damage to that opposing creature. So we're not really going to rehash it, but as I said before, uh, if I've got three blockers, i got to mark lethal damage on three of them, and then maybe something else happens. Maybe I have Trample on that creature. Trample is a decision that you are allowed to have for a creature with Trample. You can make this call and say, okay, I've dealt lethal damage to each blocker. Now I can choose... You want to choose, yes, to deal excess damage to the defending planeswalker or player. But there's other things that come into play here, too, because before normal combat damage is dealt, we have creatures with double strike and creatures with first strike. They get to try their hand first before anyone else. Now, a creature with first strike deals combat damage before creatures without first strike, and a creature with double strike is going to 
both do that and also deal damage again during the combat damage step when everyone else is dealing damage. So we'll just walk through that. If there's no creatures with first strike, we just don't do this part and we go straight to normal combat. But if there are creatures with first strike, every single one of those will deal damage equal to its power simultaneously. And then we check for state-based actions. Maybe something died. And then we'll go to normal combat damage. That's why first strike is so powerful. If you get the first strike in and you mark lethal on the uh, on the blocking or the attacking creature, mm-hmm. then your creature, assuming the, the other creature didn't have first strike or double strike, it doesn't get dealt damage because it got in first. We know that's why first strike is so powerful. So... First strike and double strike happen, then we got the normal damage. Everything gets marked up. And let's talk about this idea of marking damage, because this is something that I think a lot of players know, but they don't really understand. Because there's a very fundamental difference between having damage marked on something and, say, for example, reducing a creature's toughness, right? When you mark damage on a creature or on a permanent, a creature that, uh, a permanent that used to be a creature, that damage will stay marked on that creature or permanent until the cleanup step. All right, that's at the very end of the turn. And if that marked damage is equal to or greater than that creature's toughness, it's going to die. Mm -hmm. But... An indestructible creature is not going to die from that effect, right? If you have an indestructible 1-1, it doesn't matter that I dealt one damage. It's still going to live because no amount of damage can destroy an indestructible creature exactly. However, there are effects that can destroy it that aren't really combat-based. And I think a lot of people mix this up. There's combat damage that we just talked about, and then there's reducing a creature's toughness to zero. Right. Reducing a creature's toughness to zero is like with a minus X, minus X effect or with negative one, negative one counters, things like that. If the total minus effect and we ignore damage, you got to keep this in mind. If the total minus X, minus X effect on an indestructible creature is going to bring it to zero toughness, it's going to die even though it's indestructible. Mm -hmm. Just something to keep in mind there. That comes into play with infect. Infect doesn't deal normal damage. It deals damage to creatures in the form of negative one, negative one counters. And so it will kill indestructible creatures if it has toughness reduced to zero. So we've dealt our damage. We've done all that good stuff. Um, now we go to the last step that everyone forgets about. Right. But I think that Mike has something for us. And this is one of my favorite cards mm-hmm. that we'll talk about. Uh, because during the end of combat step, which is after damage and after creatures have died... You get priority. The active player gets priority. Triggers can go on the stack, and you can activate things at instant speed and cast things at instant speed. Mike, what's one of the cards that might work super well if you activate it during the end of combat damage step? It's one that if you don't have the the background that you do or that it's been explained to you, um, a lot of people don't see the value in, and that's reconnaissance. Now, this Hell is a yeah. one mana. It's just a one white enchantment that says zero. Remove target attacking creature you control from combat and untap it with the italics of that creature neither deals nor receives combat damage this turn. Well, that seems like, okay, great. It's just kind of like maze of ifing your own creature 
But that's not how this works because, like you said, there is an end of combat step. So take us through this and why why does something like reconnaissance work? Absolutely, Mike. So if we didn't have an end of combat damage step, the only thing that you could really use reconnaissance for is uh, sort of pulling back a creature <laughs> if you got an unfavorable block, which a is takes, not really a that. A takes right. backsies, right. essentially. Takes these backsies like, <laughs> oh, you're going to triple block me? Mm, actually, I'm going to pull it back. Now, you can still do that. Sure. But because the end of combat step exists, and because you receive priority during it, and because this is an ability that can be activated at instant speed, you are able to activate this any number of times when you have priority during that combat uh, end of combat step and untap all of your attacking creatures that you control because an attacking creature is a creature that is attacking for the entire combat step, right? That's from the moment it's declared as an attacker all the way to and through this special step, the end of combat step. And it doesn't stop being an attacking creature until the post-combat main phase, which happens after the step ends. So that means you can activate reconnaissance over and over and over on the end of combat step and untap everything you have, giving it sort of a pseudo vigilance effect, which is great. Mm. And that's the reason that this card costs $6 instead of costing $0. It's a great card, Mike. I'm glad that you uh, wanted to talk about it. I'm glad we could talk about it. Um, Boy, that was a huge info dump. Hopefully I've... (laughs) enumerated some information about combat that maybe some of our listeners didn't know. Maybe you didn't know some of it, Mike. I'm not sure. Um, I, I, I did, talked- but I'm pretty sure because I got it all from you. Right. We've You and I have talked about all this before. Right. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of nooks and crannies in the combat step, right, that you don't you really think about. But they're very important because this is where the, the combat tricks can come in, the very nitty-gritty stuff where you're really messing around with your opponents. Yeah. If you're if if half games are being won through combat, then it's not a bad idea to know about all the steps and things that you can mm-hmm. do in combat and how it works. And yeah. Alex, I, I I appreciate and hopefully our pre- uh, our listeners appreciate uh, you walking us through combat itself. Well, I hope so too, because that was probably pretty boring for people who don't care about uh, you know deep rules dives. But well, that's... Uh, that's why we do this at the end, right? <laughs> well, you know what? Worst case scenario. What we'll do is we'll uh, we'll try and get him back uh, at the beginning of the next episode. All right. Which will be coming to you soon. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Alex, where can people find you on socials? Absolutely, Mike. You can find me on Twitter at uh, LapperMedic. And you can always uh, just message me directly. You can at me, talk to me about judge questions, talk to me about the show. And uh, we also got us at EDH underscore social on Twitter. Or you can uh, email me directly. Uh, at alex at edhrec.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and rate the podcast. If you want to buy any of the cards we talked about, decks, boxes, sleeves, etc., you can support us by going to bit.ly slash edh underscore social. Uh, if you have any questions for us, hit the different uh, social media aspects that we've described or email us directly at the social contract edh at gmail.com. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love talking combat, but I'm glad we don't have to fight about it. We'll talk. I'll to you fight all next you, week. Mike. No, don't fight me. <laughs> <laughs>